You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. All right, we're going to read the scripture reading together. It's pretty short, so if you would stand with me, and we'll read Matthew 5, 13 to 16 together. All right, here we go. <clears throat> you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is God's word. You may be seated. Uh, we are in passage. We're continuing in the parables. This is something of a small parable, if you will, because there is uh, imagery that God's giving. There's a, a message that he's sharing. It's present in the synoptics, at least the light of the world. Statements that he's... Excuse me, by the way. Can everybody hear me pretty well? Am I yelling or am I need to, do I need to get louder? Get louder? Okay. Too much? Okay. Um, that time doesn't count, by the way, Aaron. Anyway. Um, all right, so we're in Matthew, and we are discussing, uh, continuing in the parables. If you recall, in, in the, the, the subtitle of the parable series is The Secrets of the Kingdom. We talked about that in reference last week, because even as we talked about the the Good Samaritan, that uh, there's something God is, that Christ himself is trying to, to demonstrate, and specifically demonstrate for his disciples. He's talking, when when the disciples ask, what do these stories mean? He said, it's because the secrets of the kingdom are for you, and not for them to know yet. So I'm talking in parables. And so even in this case, Jesus is starting to begin what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And a series of teachings that he's doing, in which there is a, a measure of him taking what the, the Jewish people at the time assumed about the law, and assumed and had taught and learned, and he was trying to reshape that in a way that held some weight for the people that were hearing it. And, and since I don't want to spend a lot of an over over amount of time here. It's a short passage, but I want to go right for the heart of what he's trying to communicate to us. And I think it's so important for us to remember as believers in this world and as those who would watch and see believers in this world observing our lives. It is incredibly easy for us as people who have been born into and grown up in a, if you will, Christendom, a a nation of Christian principle, of, of things where the presence of the gospel has taken effect on a lot of the things around us with an assumption that has transformed our culture, but has given us comfort to kind of slide into an okay culture, right? A Christian culture. It, what I mean is, to be a good person, there are a lot of people you probably work with that don't 
care much about Jesus and say they're a good person. It doesn't mean you necessarily stand out in that function. But there's something that God in Christ is talking about here when he tells them about being salt and light in which he ends that paragraph, that sentence, by saying, do it so people see your good works and as a result give glory to God. But what does that mean for us? How do we demonstrate good works that stand out in such a way? And what is he trying to accomplish? And I think the temptation is, as we can get into that groove, it's easy to be comfortable, it's easy to pursue worldly things, it's easy to be, if you will, have your light covered under a basket. Hidden. To have your saltiness not salty. And what do you mean by not being salty, now that nowadays, I mean, Heather might say I'm being salty at times. She's not talking about Jesus, okay, in that case, right? I almost got a shirt in Disney that said salty. I thought it was really cool. But anyway, in this particular case, there's something God, Christ, is doing, and he specifically says the purpose of what he wants to teach his disciples is so that this, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's important to remember what they would hear as the disciples or the people listening would hear that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. There's not a lot of significant locations other than this example that God refers to people as salt. But he does use the example of light. And he often uses it in terms of truth, of his glory. Jesus calls himself the light of the world. He calls himself the way, the truth, the light, that no one comes to the Father but through him. It's about pushing back darkness. Darkness is always associated with evil. It's always associated with, with hiding sin. It's associated with, with bad things in this world. And darkness is always pushed back by the light. And I think it's important that setting the stage and the location of A, who he's talking to, and also what Jesus is trying to communicate. First, he's talking to first century Jews. And secondly, he's talking specifically to his disciples. And so here's the message for us. If you're someone who follows Christ, this message is also for you. Because he's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking through his disciples. He's saying, go and make disciples and do what? Teach them everything I've taught you. So if you follow Christ, he says you're salt. He says you're light. He doesn't say one day you'll be salt. He doesn't one day you'll be light. He doesn't say you'll aspire to be salt. He doesn't say maybe you'll be light. He said you are the light. And what I think is important for us to remember is in the context of what Christ is doing and establishing on earth that we have a significant role in what God is trying to accomplish. And the reason I think that's important to remember is because if we look around us and just get laissez-faire about the world we're in and that there's nothing we can necessarily do to impact and I just have a job at Fidelity, right? I'm just working day in, day out. I'm just cleaning houses. I'm just doing some this, that, and the other. Who am I? I don't have a pulpit. I don't have a platform. Everybody wants a platform anymore. Everybody's got something to say online. I get tired of listening. I'm not that sorry. I don't like to get snarky in this, but this is not the place for that. But I'm saying you don't need a platform. You need relationships. You are a believer. Christ is in you, and he has a message for the world around you, and he is telling you right now you are salt and you are light. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, what is Christ doing? If we read back before the Sermon on the Mount, it says what he's doing at the end of chapter 4. 
at chapter 4 where it says this at the beginning, at the end, and starting in verse 23, or just 23 actually, it says, Jesus now began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So what is Jesus' work on earth at that time? He's preaching the good news of the kingdom. What I'm concerned is that for many of us, we don't appreciate or understand or even grasp or even fit ourselves into the good news of the kingdom. Because as he establishes that he's preaching the good news, he then turns to his disciples and says, you're the salt and the light. And you're pointing people to this kingdom. All the way through chapter 5, all the way through Luke, we talked about this last week, he's continually telling his people to go about preaching the good news of the kingdom. So what's the good news of the kingdom? That's what I think is important to talk about this morning, and then we'll talk specifically about how we're light and we're, we're salt in the midst of that. Way back uh, at the beginning of dawn of time when God created all things, he says he created man and he put him in the garden. And then man was told, do anything, eat anything, steward what I have made and all its goodness, just don't eat from that tree. And the serpent shows up. serpent shows up on the, on the scene and says, did God really say? And so in that moment where Adam and Eve determined to choose to question God, to choose to rebel against his direction for the life, they invited sin into the world, they invited rebellion, and we see in the beginning of Genesis the propagation of evil throughout the world. Darkness. So much so that God even got, can you imagine getting to the point that God says, I'm just going to flood this and start over. This is how bad it is. You know what? Wash it out. Start again. You ever got to that point? You're just like, I just got to start over. This isn't even working. Yeah, shaking. <laughs> yes, maybe. Sometimes I'm like, I can't start over with kids. I'm your dad. Sorry if I screwed you up. We can't. There's no reset button on that. But in this case, God says, I'm going to start over with Noah and his family. But then it gets bad again because they get to Babel, don't they? At Babel, they're still like, we're going to make a name for ourselves. And God says, fine, forget this. Distribute you throughout the world. All the nations go spread. I'm going to start off with Abraham. And he tells Abraham something significant. He says, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. You are my inheritance. You are my people. I'm going to do something through you to establish my name. Darkness reigns. Sin and evil reigns. The kingdom of darkness ruled the earth. We talk about violence and things today. Do you know how dark it was? I mean, for sport, even up into right before Jesus gets there, they're killing people in the Colosseums for fun. We don't do that today. Some, even even emperors determining, they said it was not safe, an emperor named Caligula that if, it wasn't even safe to go to the shows at the Coliseum because if they ran out of people who were gladiators, sometimes he'd pick people out of the stands. Just, just to watch the animals have their way. To intimidate and push back the darkness that's there. The, the darkness in the hearts of those people. And God said, I'm going to do something through Abraham. And so out through history, we see through Genesis and along the way as God preserves his people. In Exodus, we see that he calls out a nation. We talk about the fact that he drew them out from bondage where they were in slavery, and he pulls that people into a nation so he could establish his name and put his name on this earth. So imagine this. In the dark Noah world that we see today, God took and put his presence in the midst of the temple so that there was a light. 
in the middle, out in the Middle East, in the midst of a dark world. And he told his people, you are an example to the nations. You're a priesthood of believers. You intercede on my behalf. You preach, you teach, you speak. Everything you do reflects me. And all the failures throughout the Old Testament is you profaned my name among the nations. And then we get to Christ. And not only is God's presence in the temple with his people, now God comes down in the person of Christ. And the and then we see this bright light in the midst of this darkness walking around saying, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Let me push back this healing, this brokenness. Let me heal you. Take away your blindness. Believe me, the kingdom of God is at hand. My, my disciples, go out and tell everybody, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then, the way Paul describes it, he goes to the cross and he put the rulers of this world. Who's the rulers of this world? We're not talking about kings and queens necessarily on seated on thrones. We're talking about more than that. It says that, that, that the enemy is the prince of the power of the air. He is the ruler of darkness. In Ephesians, Paul said, before Christ you followed after him. And Paul then tells us later that on the cross, Christ put to open shame the rulers of this world. He even says if they had known what was going to happen, they wouldn't have put Christ to death because he conquers them in his death. And now that light that shined bright in the person of Christ can now, in his disciples, and we see in, in Pentecost, fill his people. Now not only is the light that was in Christ present in the world, he has gone back to the Father and sit down in spirit, so now all his people that are there are filled with that same light. Do, do you grasp where you are in this unseen battle that is actually a conquest? Christ stood and said, my church will be established on this rock, and guess what? The gates of hell will not prevail. You don't use gates for offense. This is an all-out assault on darkness. And he says they're not winning. We're crushing them. Now, disciples, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now that I dwell in you, go into all the world and light this place up. Can you imagine? you see? Can you see? In the unseen world, have you ever been on an airplane or seen shots from outer space when they show America, the world and the city? Can you see where the cities are in the darkness of the world? What, is, what does Christ say? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. All those lights come together. This, brothers and sisters, as we come together in the Spirit of God, in one Spirit, one Lord, one King, and we worship one God and one Father in heaven. The Spirit of God and the light in us can't be hidden. And it shouldn't be hidden. We could take this metaphor way too far, but that's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to illustrate something simply to a people who need to say, you know what salt is for? You know what light is for? You're that. Okay? You light up a room, you light up the world. We could go like... They didn't know about photons or waves or whatever other kind of scientific example you heard here. There could be some really cool stuff you could dig out. 
He's being simple. Hey, you know the city you see on a hill when you're wandering in the desert and you got no idea where you are in the wilderness? That light, you can't it can't hide it. You can find your way to safety. And even then, as we are a light on a hill as a church for this community, for this world, you individually, wherever you go, take as a lampstand into your workplace, into your into your um, recreational facility, into the pickleball court, into going out into the world where you eat, have coffee, where you shop, where you eat. You are a walking lampstand where the Spirit of God dwells in you who has already conquered darkness. It can't reside where you are. He doesn't say that the darkness is going to crush your lamp. He says you could hide it. Why would you hide it? We've got a world around us that has put us to shame and tried to give us some example that of all the terrible things that Christianity might have done in this world in the name of Christ. And I would agree that some people have done some things. A lot of bad things. But at the same time in parallel, we look at Juneteenth, right? There were unbelievable amount of churches and, and, and believers who affirmed the owning of people within the United States. But that is not what the gospel preaches. That is not what the Bible preaches. They were wrong. They were not Christ-like in that. Matter of fact, at the same time, there were parallel people in the church who criticized and pushed back against that very thing. And they were hated. Wilbur Wilberforce, who is in, in England, he pushed back and got returned by fighting and pushing to get the slave trade ended in England. Charles Spurgeon used to talk terrible about people who would own slaves in America. So much so, he said he would eat with just about any sinner but would never share a meal with someone, a man-stealer. They had, you can look it up, articles saying if, if Spurgeon ever shows up in the South, we'll hang him. They hated him. But you know what he was talking about? Kingdom of light. He was pushing back against that darkness. And guess what? Everyone who would claim the name of Christ and own somebody, they weren't salty. They weren't light. If they had any light in them, it was hidden. No, in fact, what we see is that God is trying to accomplish in the kingdom of God three big important things. First, to reverse the curse. Think about in the garden where sin and death came into reign. God came in in His Son Christ and put Him to death so that He would take the curse for us on our behalf and that sin and death would rule no more. But the, that doesn't stop there because in the midst of that He's also here to heal the broken and push back against darkness. It says He's preaching the kingdom and He's healing. And then He tells us you're the salt. Do you know what salt's good for? Salt preserves, salt cleans and heals, and purifies. Salt is good for all those things. And salt in its natural state, this is an odd thing, just does not stop being salty. It just doesn't stop. It is like, hey, there's some salt, now it's not salt anymore. But Jesus says, what good would salt be if it's not salty? It's good for what? Just adding it to the ground to walk on. Cast it out. He's then trying to push back the darkness that is spread. The third thing he's doing is to draw back. Remember remember at, at Babel? What did he do with the nations? Now in Christ, what's he doing? He's bringing the nations back to him. 
uh, John Piper is quoted as saying, missions exist because worship doesn't. I don't always want to disagree, but I would say worship is rampant. But it's not worship of the one true most high God. Even at the time when Jesus came to earth and began his mission work, idol worship was all over the place. And even today we see constantly people wanting to worship the creation rather than the creator. And Jesus told, God told his people, you're a nation of priests. And that was now taken to his disciples in the New Testament. We are continuing to be a nation of priests. Now as Christians, God is not only in the tabernacle, but his spirit is in us. And now as we gather together at the light corporately, and we go to our workplaces and we go to the places where we stand in the midst of others, we shine as a lampstand that should not be hidden, hidden, because we desire that they see our good works and glorify the Father. And so here's what, what's our response. I got a couple of responses I want you to think about. First off, don't be of the world. Don't be of the world. Fight being of the world. There is a co-op of faith for all kinds of purposes. You can follow these thinkers. Although I saw a pastor's, quote-unquote, pastor's conference where the role of people on that conference are nothing like pastors. One of them was an atheist at a pastor's conference. Why? Because it was politically motivated to talk about how we can change the world through politics. Will God use politics? Yes. But don't be of the world. Don't be sucked into thinking that there is some higher opportunity inside of, of working our way in this world to navigate and do something that God's already accomplished in Christ. We don't have to shortcut. Remember, remember this. Remember when they went to build the temple in this weird line at the beginning before they began to work? God said, by the way, keep the Sabbath. If you don't, I'll kill you. It literally says, anybody should be put to death if they don't keep it. What is that? We're about to go on this major work project. I don't know about you, but sometimes we're going to do nights and, weeks and, get, nights and weekends, God. No, no, no. He said, you don't shortcut. I've made this. I've given you what's right. Do what's right, regardless of what you think is going to be better. Don't be of this world. When his disciples were following after him, Jesus said, uh, he prayed to the Father in John 17, where he said that they would be in the world, but not of the world. So my encouragement is for you. We are in this world and we shine as lights. But whatever we do, we need to put guardrails up of being of the world. Constantly questioning and asking, is this God's will for my life? Is this direction he has given me? Am I shining as a light? Am I a salt to the world? Or am I being more like the world, like a slave owner in, in the South who would go to church on Sunday and then beat their property all week? Second thing is this encouragement. <coughs> Pray kingdom prayers. If we're going to be salt and light in this world, we have to recognize that we need the Spirit of God in us and in the people around us to make a change, both in our lives and the people we meet. If we're talking about going out this afternoon to pray in this community because prayer works. Because God is at work. Because prayer changes. It changes us. It changes our community because it demonstrates our dependence on God to accomplish anything. If we think we can be salt and light in our own power, then we're already deceiving ourselves. 
The third thing is let your light shine. Don't put it under a basket. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't think, don't walk into work and just say, you know, I don't want to say anything about what my faith says about this. God has conquered and is spreading the gospel, pushing back the darkness in this world. We have nothing to be ashamed of. And that doesn't mean we need to fix people. Don't think that's right. We don't fix people to get into the kingdom. That doesn't mean we need to shine our light by telling them the right way to think or the right way to do things. We just need to share what God is doing in us and what He is doing to change our world. What He has already accomplished in Christ. That, that You know what? How terrible is that? This, that that, that this, this man would walk into a school and shoot up a bunch of kids. How horrific. Look at the darkness in our world. Praise God that he is beginning to press back that darkness. Man, I have been praying earnestly that he would continue to do that. Have that conversation with your, with your co-workers. That the kingdom of God is pressing in on this, but man, the darkness still reigns in the interim. There is still... Let me take that back. I want to re repeat what I said. Darkness does not reign. Jesus reigns. It says he was raised up and has the, the name above every other name, that he is Lord over all. But... Darkness still has a little bit of a foothold, and they're still working, and they're still conniving, and they are still hidden in the dark places. Let your light shine. It changes people. And the final thing is this. Preach the good news of the kingdom. Preach it. God said, share the good news of the kingdom. Tell them the kingdom of God is at hand. As you let your light shine, you can give people hope. That's what Peter says. That they would see your good works and they would ask about the hope that's within you. Tell them, what's the hope? I don't know if you're like me. Um, sometimes I can get sucked too much into the world and what's going on right around me and be, honestly, my light's hidden. My light's hidden in this moment. Where, where I am absorbed into the workload I have at my job. I am uh, intimidated by... Uh, somebody else by what they might think of me I don't know I don't know what it is believing that in some way that my thoughts about this I don't have all the answers it's in those moments that when I turn my eyes to Christ and I remember that there's a far greater thing at hand than my simple walking to work every day and what effect I have uh, by building what we're building or doing our thing, there's something greater that God's doing and He's inviting me into that. He's not only inviting me, Christ is telling me, you are a part of it. You're a light of this world. My encouragement, King's Cross, is that we pray boldly kingdom prayers. That we let our light shine and that we boldly proclaim what is the kingdom of God that is present in our hearts and our minds and that is pushing back the darkness of the world. We benefit from a, a, a nation that has a lot of, of really, really great modern, what they would call things, right? Hospitals, higher education. You know that was people who were believers prioritizing the need to educate, prioritizing the need to help people, to build hospitals, to advance for the good of everyone. Don't, don't think less of your everyday and how you can affect the kingdom of God in this present time while we wait on Christ's return. Don't minimize those good works that you do because if they're for the kingdom, then they're for His glory. 
then God can use that for them to look at you and look at the good works that you have just like at the end of this passage and say, glorify God, the Father who's in heaven because of it. Let's pray. Father, in your kindness, I pray that um, somehow your spirit would, would work. God, I pray that your spirit would work in through these words. Though at times I feel insufficient to really capture what what you're doing presently in this world around us and what you're doing in our hearts and our minds and our lives, that there is something far greater at work that your spirit would, would even be willing to be present and live within your people. And God, that you desire to work through us to make change in this world today and to ultimately bring your kingdom in the future. God, I pray, Lord, that we would never lose sight, that we would always remember and keep our eyes on you and run the races before us in a way that glorifies you and your name. Strengthen us for the race. Strengthen us for the day by day. Give us a, a, a bigger view of, of what, what is in front of us. But God, ultimately, make us more dependent on you and your spirit, that you would be honored and glorified every moment and every day with our life. And I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.